So now we're going to go into a whole next level. We're going to talk about a number of terms today. First of all, we're going to talk about Choref Umakshe. Choref Umakshe, which means sharp, excuse me, and challenging. Choref is what? Choref is sharp. Sharp. Makshe. Umakshe is challenging. Masun Umasik. Patient and conclusive. Masun and what? Umasik. Masik. What's Masun? It's patient. Patient and Masik. Conclusive. Nishama Bliguf. Soul without a body. Guf. Bli Nishama. Body without a soul. Nigle, revealed. And Nistar, which is concealed. Say it again. Say the last two. Are. Nigle is revealed. And Nistar is concealed. So. Sorry, concealed is. Nistar. Nistar. Now, let's talk about a unity. What, 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 would, what would a unity between the mind and the emotions look like? Say that again. If we had to say, if I had to tell you, I want to unify my mind and my emotions because I'm not totally satisfied with my mind alone and I'm not totally satisfied with my emotions alone, but I don't want to say that one is going to dominate the other. I don't want to say that one is going to control the other. Liana had a problem with that before. I want to create, create an absolute unity between the two. How do I create that unity where they're both on an equal playing field? I think the only way is, again, you've got to introduce another dimension. You've got to introduce the dimension of time. You have and, to, time, maybe, what else? And, and, and you've got to sort of, so it's like when you make decisions for how you're going to live, right? Then you have to actually live that way, right? So when you're living, it's going to be more emotion. You're going to be dealing with your emotions, but you kind of have those reminders to yourself of how you need to behave. But maybe, when, when your mind was in control... But maybe the intellect is going to say, I, I'm, I'm second fiddle now. Almost. It is. In the I don't want is. the intellect to be second fiddle. I don't want the emotions to be second fiddle. I want them both to share equal playing field. How does that work? So the analogy that we gave before is Ephraim and Michael, right? Ephraim going down the mountain, Michael coming up the mountain, and they meet halfway in the middle. That was the analogy we gave last week. We're going to go a step further. You see, because here... In this analogy, the emotions are controlled by the mind, but not suspended in the medium of intellect. If they meet halfway in the middle, then the emotions become controlled by the mind, which is exactly what we wanted to do, but they're not suspended in, in the intellect, which means in practical terms. The mind is acknowledging there has to be a result. There has to be an impact on real life. The word being translated as result, we use the word bechein. The, the Rebbe always used this word, bechein, which means basically the bottom line. What's the result? It's very nice for us to study this. It's very nice for us to pursue this intellectual understanding. But what's the bechein? What's the result? The result, or the bottom line, 
is some kind of human experience, such as, let's say, I love God, or I have awe for God. It's a result and feeling of the heart, yet at the same time, at the same time, it's the kind of result that is governed and harnessed by the mind. It's actually a true synthesis. So it may sound like the mind is in control in one respect, which is true. It actually says in Tanya, Moach Shavit Awalev, the mind dominates the heart. But on the other hand, the mind is recognizing that the bottom line here is that it should have a positive effect on the world. And it could only have a positive effect on the world through building character and building emotional strength. Which means a brilliant intellectual without good character traits, without good attributes, needs a lot of refinement. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know those. They're usually called geeks. Social retards. So I think it's important that you think about what your nature is, right? If your nature is more midot, is more... So you say the mind needs to recognize that its whole point is to make the world a better place. And you can only make the world a better place if what? If, it's ground, if you're, you're grounded in emotion. Or That's right. If you're like... able to build character. Mm-hmm. If you're able to have emotional strength. You see, you can't live in this world without emotional strength, which means if you are a brilliant intellectual and you allow your emotions to run wild, you defeated the entire purpose. On the other side, if you're very emotionally intelligent and you allow your mind to run wild, you also defeated your purpose. You know, you see, I, I, have, I have a perfect example of this in, in my, like my best friend growing up, okay? My best friend growing up was always the most brilliant kid in the class, always. We were all we a group of like three, four that were always at the top, but he was always at the top of the top, you know? Intellectually brilliant guy. But very early, he's like, ah, he was too cool for sports, and he was too cool for this, and he was too cool for that. And zipped through school, like, always, like, number one, number one, number one, number one. Jeff, number one, number one, number one. Then it's like, okay, like, the, the hot thing at the time was computer science. Computer science, number one at McGill, computer science. Then, like, what you talk about? Character. So that emotional strength that was always lacking in him. He's always like doing one thing, doing the next, like always rudderless, always like thinking it's all about him, whatever. But but completely brilliant, okay? Yep. Flamed out of computer science, went into law school, McGill Law. Flamed. Top, top. Top at McGill Law, went to number one law firm in New York. But well, if I'm gonna do law, I may as well go into the best. Gets into the top law firm. These things are difficult to do, man, trust me. Getting to the number one law firm in New York City, you've got a cravat swing anymore. No joke, guys. It's like you've got to be upper, 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 upper crust, sechel, uh, okay? Gets in, da 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 da. Okay, struggling, yeah. struggling, struggling, struggling. Okay. Bottom line, he lives in Israel now, he's great, whatever. But it's like we're 40 years old now. It's been a, his career has been a major struggle. And he's like still trying to get his third career up. up. And it's always like, I was telling him, it's like, you need just this, this strength in yourself. Like it's, 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 it's related a little bit. There's sometimes a lack of courage, sometimes a lack of toughness. And there's been people that have been way less smart than him that had inner toughness and determination and ended up like doing a lot better than him. And it's, it's like, it's unfair a bit, but it's, a, and I notice a lot of those propensities in my son. Yeah. He's extremely smart, but he'll give up quickly. 
clean. And if it, if he doesn't dominate right away, he loses interest in it. You know. Oh, what would so, be the example for the opposite? Example. The opposite is people who are psychics. <laughs> people who are very emotionally in tune. I feel like you uh, energy or people who trust their gut a lot. Who trust their, their guts? Gut. Their gut. They make decisions based on their gut. And they're always right about people too. They're like, oh, this person is like that. My of course, they're right me. because it's a self fulfilling prophecy. I've really? No, but I've heard like your gut too. talk you forty times. I've been wrong. Than like thirty three. You can tell my friend can tell like someone who's pregnant rather than telling them like yeah. it's those things like that too. Yeah, it's true. There's there's advantages to it, but in practical life, what's the name of that show with all the nerds? What's the name of it? Uh, 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 Big Bang. Theory. Big, Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory. And I think I, I've never seen it, but I'm I, I from what the pieces that I've picked up on it, you know, is that I think that these people, the these nerds, have a very hard time navigating emotional life, right? Yes, yes, yes. So. I think they're, this is, these are examples. They turn it into humor. Yeah, they yeah. do. They turn it into very smart humor. Um, but that is found. If you go to any, yes. any faculty, yes. you, will, you go visit the PhD students. Yeah. You're going to find a good handful of them like that. Mm-hmm. And, and then they, they don't leave that enclave. They move into real they life stay in like the that. Shelter. That's right. They move into real life like it al- that. It's almost like it perpetuates itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's not good. Mm-hmm. Because... Yes, they're, they're in this world, but they're not really of this world. And that's a big problem. And the opposite, because you want to know the opposite. The opposite, the psychics, yeah, maybe it's true the person who knows that someone's pregnant or someone... That's a wonderful thing. How practical is it? See, is... Pregnancy, that's what's going to tell you. No, 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 but I'll give you an example. Because, and I think it's, it's important. Often I, I've seen this and I've had to counsel and work with some people. Who, who are like this. If you're a psychic, or you know something, you're not, according to the Torah, you're not allowed to tell something to someone unless they ask you for it. Mm, yeah. Why? Presumably they're not ready for it. Exactly. Yeah. And even if they do ask you for it, you have to hold back. So, what's the purpose of your place in this world? If you have a, high, a heightened level of emotional intelligence, okay. what is your purpose? And the purpose is that your intellect should be able to use the heightened emotional intelligence to be able to navigate the world. That's the purpose. Which means you have been given a gift by Hashem. It's a talent or a gift. You're saying a lot of times those people, they're not ambitious enough and they're not like structured in their life enough. Well, more than not ambitious and unstructured does come with the territory. That's symptoms of like that's, the... that's a symptom. But I'm saying even more than that. They're using and they're navigating their life based on... That, like where somebody will say to me, I couldn't go out today because I had to help spiritually, I had to help somebody, uh, you know, that go through a, a situation or a problem. Or no, that's not your place. That's not your role. Your role is not to be God. I have another person very close to me that I think uh, that an example of, uh, of, of, of a lot of midot and, and, and not so much seha. And the problem with that is, so there are people that it's going to be easy for them to connect with other human beings on an emotional level. So again, that comes with a lot of strength. A lot of it, it's, it's they can read people's emotional state very quickly, and, and that, that, that so they'll be very connected. When we're talking about the other ones, are like socially disconnected, these people are like very socially connected, yeah, yeah, yeah. However, mm-hmm. you get very quickly in situations with life, it's like to understand what is better requires intellect, yes, to understand exactly. how you should eat requires a little bit of. 
boring, tedious, Reading. cold, calculated intellect. And these people, this I know this one person in my life, very, very close person to me, very, very close. I don't want to say because it's like it's almost like pointing fingers at someone before no. you're even knowing them. It's like I don't want to say. But this person, it's like if we'll talk about a topic and we're all trying to figure out what's the solution, they'll right away look for the way out by making a joke and by connecting and by whatever. It's very easy. And it's like, the, like, like or, or, we're or, trying to like focus. figure something out here. You know, they can't go focus. three, four levels down in mm-hmm. intellect. But that's what you need to figure that's things or, out. Or, or, so or it's the unreliable thoughts they have. Or the opposite thoughts. end of the spectrum, where this girl calls me up and says, "What do I do?" My second told me I can't go out today. What do I do? My what? My psychic told me I can't go out today. Yeah. Now, if you are a psychic, now I'm, I'm not talking about the girl. The girl, I said to the girl, "Don't go out." Psychic said, "Don't go out. Don't go out." Right? I mean, if you it's believe that, stress if you people. believe that, then you have to. Like, I, you know, that's your space and, and I'm not here to, to judge your space. But to the psychic, I say, mm. what gives you the right to tell the girl not to go out? Yeah, you're interfering with somebody's life. Like, be careful. What gives, what gives you the right? You, you, who said that? What, so maybe, maybe you know something or maybe you have an intuition towards something. Okay, that's nice. That's wonderful. But to the point where you're going to take over someone's life, that's not the point of, of, of having heightened emotional intelligence. Okay, but what if they are convinced of their gifts to the point where, look, this is what, uh, this is what I, I got. Well, then they vision. defeated the entire purpose of having those gifts. Mm. Because they know as good as anyone else that very often they're wrong. Mm. They should know. They do know. Do you know about the self... Uh, they do know. Some people are, 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 are profoundly self-deceived. There's hypnotherapy and then there's hypnosis as a show. Mm. People know. Mm. Anything in life can be used for good and can be used for evil. If you have a certain talent, you have to know the value of your talent. Placebo effect has been proven like a long time ago. Like yeah, everyone Absolute. knows about these. Absolutely, percent. absolutely. It's about thirty percent. It's like if you, if you take like a like a random like. And probably people with less cephal, it's like they're the thirty percent. No, of course, and we have to be very careful. You give a hundred people a pill of, of sugar, yeah. and thirty percent of them the the, the, the symptoms will, will improve. It's no, good. that's crazy. It's, like, it's probably those people with, with less cephal and more. Look, it, the fact of the matter is that you have. These are the people yes. that we have to even be more careful. Anyone who has seichel, we can have a conversation. Mm-hmm. Oh, you thought that way? Well, I'm going to disprove you. Okay, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I, accept your, I accept the fact you disproved me. Oh, yeah, Midot also takes everything personally. Midot takes everything personally. You can't you even have a conversation. Like, oh, uh, you I have, that's what you're going to say. You have of, someone, who's, to someone who's Midot base, mm-hmm. they're going to, you pound, they're finished. They will harbor that resentment. They will harbor that feeling for the rest of every time they look at you. They're gonna think of that thing that you said ten years ago. Midot can be very bahamit, very bahamit. Yeah. Like, but it's great also because you're connecting and you're connected and you're, it's great. But it can be very negative. It's as got well. a beauty to it. It could be very negative. It could be very negative. It could be yeah. very self-centered. It could be very like absolutely. My feeling it's like today, like like we talked about that the first few times, like the emotivism. You know. That's right. It's all about positive emotion, and it's like. The second that you're making me feel like negative emotions, like I have a claim against you or like you have violated my space. It's like your space needs to be violated if you're going to learn anything. So like don't learn. Like go through life with that humongous sense of your self-importance and don't learn. It's like, it's like be comfortable. It's, like, it's easier that way, right? It's a better way to live. No, it's, it's, it's easier that way. 
Go, go through life as, a, as, as someone who doesn't know anything, and you'll probably have a much easier life. That's right. Will you have a more meaningful life? Will you have a more purposeful life? I don't know, but you'll probably have a much easier life. Mm-hmm. But being in this world is not meant to be easy. That's the point. It's, it's, but where it gets tough is like with your children, let's say. If you feel one of your children going in that direction, you can't not care. It's like... Yeah, but then you, you try to pull them back from it. You try but to pull them back. But you can't smother them and you can't tough love them. You have to be very careful. It's a, it's a tight rope, eh? It's that. Very that careful. Because everything has a reaction. Everything has yeah, a... you got to pull a little to the left, pull a little like, like, like a really powerful speed. Especially as they, as, as they become a little more like teenagers and having the mind of their own, making their own choices. Very, very careful. Yeah, very, very careful. Rebellious I, think, I think legal age should still be 21. I think there's some people who think legal age should be 41. So. <laughs> <laughs> the problem with a lot of our schemes, Rabbi, the problem with a lot of our schemes is that they are unidirectional. It's like, this is what needs to be done. This is what, and I'm reading a great book by a, a guy, he's, he's, he's a mathematician, he's, he's in finance, but he's also kind of a bit of a philosopher, Nassim Taleb, very, very interesting guy. And he goes, the problem with like, he's talking about military interventions. He goes, the problem with military interventions is like, okay, Saddam Hussein's a bad guy, so we're gonna take off Saddam Hussein. Perfect, great, let's take off the bad guy, right? Unidirectional. Unidirectional, um, one act, Bad? We're going to remove bad. What, what could be wrong with that? Because the reality is dialogical. The reality is dynamic systems. So I'm going to do something. It's going to have a reaction. Then I'm going to have a reaction. Then there's going to be a reaction back. And then, blah, 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 blah. And then it keeps going. It keeps going. That dialogical, constant feedback Absolutely. loop, it never stops. And so Absolutely. the same thing with children. It's like, you're behaving like this. It's bad. I'm going to yell your ears off for you to stop that. It's good. It's absolutely good. Okay, perfect. You're going to do that. What's going to happen next? Okay, well, dad he might, he yells. might yell back. No, no. It's like, it's like dad or mom yells a lot. Therefore, like when they're yelling, I have to not listen because otherwise it's just going to be too painful. So they start blocking you off. And there's consequences to everything you're doing. And then you get to a point where you're, you're creating a complex problem. If you're not acting the right way, exactly, you're creating a very complex problem that you're going to need an expert to fix for you because you're not able to fix it yourself. It's your unsophisticated way of dealing with reality will not allow you to deal with the problems that you are creating. And I think a lot of people are in that situation. A lot of people, they create complex problems because they don't behave in the right way that they then no longer have the ability to fix. Like most parents. You're I'll talking you, about most parents. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. In, 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 in Lubavitch, in, in New York, there was a big problem. There was Farbrangians. They would get together, and part of the Farbrangian, the get-together, included vodka and various alcohols. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be that the young yeshiva students, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, they were being given by their, their, their rabbis as part of the experience, the Farbrangian, they were given some alcohol. Obviously, young people don't know how to handle their alcohol, and there were some problems with, oh, with uh, people having too much and getting drunk. So the Rebbe heard about it. It's good to know you guys have those problems, too. <laughs> so the Rebbe heard about it, and he made a, a, ruling. a ruling that before your um, 40th birthday, until you're 40, you cannot have more than four shots of alcohol in mm-hmm. the Fabrangian. More than four ounces. In the Farbrain. Out of Farbrain. Very, very wise. Yep. Nice. And what was fascinating about that is that it's a balance of Seichel and Midot. The Rebbe wasn't saying no, because he knew if he said no, that you're too young to drink, 
then they're going to want to go drink. What he taught all these young rabbinical students, myself included, principle of moderation. Principle of moderation. And I think that is really what we're getting there. Is that he said, you can have it, but you should know this is your limit. This is your limit. And we all know there's scientific study behind four ounces of alcohol and, what, and, and that is like, you know, enough to get you just slightly buzzed, but... Mm-hmm. And it's good for it, you. And, but it doesn't, doesn't affect you, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a drastic way, both today or tomorrow. Oh, we can go drive a car after it, but... They're not driving, these, right. these young men. But they were getting drunk. I mean, there was problems. Yeah. And it's a fascinating thing. And, and, and I can tell you, grow, growing up in that environment, there was a strong emphasis. Did you have four? Are you at four? What number are you at? Mm-hmm. And we'd say to each other, oh, oh, I only had two so far. Oh, okay, fine. You know, and, and, and there was self, also self-control. Uh, control. That way, was nobody the... would do it. The Rebbe said nobody would go against the Rebbe's the dictum. Mm-hmm. That was what it was. The Rebbe said you can only have four. And you, who are you? You're not, you're not even a follower of the Rebbe. You're not a chassid. You're not, a, you're not nobody if you, if you go against what the Rebbe said. But you see, this is a higher principle than, than freedom. Because today what we have is we don't have rabbis. We don't have... We've done away with any traditional authorities to where even parents don't feel comfortable exercising their parental authority because they're gonna they're gonna stifle their children's uh, unbelievable creativity supposedly like your children are Einstein and, and Picasso right so 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 we've done away with that and what we have instead is freedom freedom everybody does what they want to do perfect so we've lost our ability to self-regulate our behavior to a higher good exactly. Because it's like, just, just do what you want. But people, doing what you want does not inevitably lead you to doing what is best for you. Absolutely. Not even close. I, I, always, like, say to not parents, even close. I always say to parents, love me enough to set some limits. Mm. Oh no, discipline is a gift for our children. Be very sure about it. Yeah. It's not, a, it's not, I mean, not talking about discipline like, yeah. just talking discipline. Yes, you know, order, structure. Regularity. And they, I think they need to understand the order. I always do a lot. I try, try to explain the why. But sometimes the kid, the why, of, you know, a lot, like the stuff that you, like when we talked about the Nefesh Ba'amid um, um, hijacking the mind, you know, it's so true. It's what we'll call like rationalizations, you know. And, and but for a child, you can know that Nefesh Ba'amid is much stronger. So, they're so good at rationalizing. You know that, right? Until Bar Mitzvah or Bar Mitzvah, the nefesh of Bahamit is so much stronger. That's why we have to be very careful. Yeah. The majority, the, a child is majority controlled by emotions. That's right. So be very careful. So the, we think, you see, we think differently. We know what's right because we have an intellectual understanding. Children don't have the development yet. So we have to be very careful. And they don't have the knowledge yet. They That's don't, right. They don't see the world. And so you let somebody with, with, high, you know, with that amount of uh, yeah. uh, emotions uh, loose. And, and their... one emotion that you have is, I don't even know if it's an emotion really, if it's a character trait, whatever, but laziness. Yeah. Like laziness is, I think it's an emotion. We call it, yeah, we call it atzvut. It's a very it's, big problem. Kabbalah talks a lot about it. What is it called? Atzvut? atzvut. Laziness to me is like one of the top three or four scourges of mankind. I always laziness. say that. I always say that it used to be all you know there was reform, conservative, orthodox, all these different things. Today there's a new type of Judaism. It's called. Stop! It's stop, called. I can't even hear it. It's called lazy ducks. <laughs> <laughs> statement <laughs> that's my issue what does that imply oh yeah <laughs> so, I, I want to do, so do it I want to do it I know it's right but I don't know oh, yeah, but, but you lazy. See, that's my, lack of that 
Yeah. Again. Yeah. My, well, that's a different. We'll, we'll get there, but that's exactly what it is. My, my, my son's laziness is a couple layers deeper than that. It's. It includes video games. No, it's like it's like I, I don't think I should do it because. <laughs> well, that's bang bang bang. But it's bang, the emotions. Brilliant productions of his mind. It's mo- it's emotions taking over the mind because his emotions are much more developed than his mind right yes, now. Yes. So that's what's going to happen, and you have to say to him, Dudski. Yeah, just do it. No, that's right. When, when you get into that that crazy. Shut up it's like, and look, do it because up. yeah. Like, you're 10 years old, I know more about the world than you, and therefore you're going to have to trust me on this one, buddy, and you're going to do it. I'll give you the explanation, but you're not going to accept the explanation. I always say to my kids, you're going to hate me today, but love me tomorrow. (laughs) That's right. That's it. That's right. And the thing is, they know, after that, you know there's part of them that is awakened when you say, like, the the divine sparks. Then they do it, and they're kind of happy that they They want to know they have a parent that's taking care of them. That, that, that cares about like, them. They want to know that somebody set yeah. them some limits. It's good for them. They and, know it's good for and them. And it's also good afterwards when, when you see the fruits of the discipline or the rule to point it out to them. Oh, yeah. You see, by the way, like, like you know, a few weeks ago when we decided we're going to do this, we're going to have this, this, this discipline, whatever. And now you see the positive result. It's because of that. Like, connect the dots, you know? And it's like, okay. You think that works? No, no, no. They're still going to come back after and, okay. and argue against it. But at least... You've planted a seed in there. You know, that, you know, right. Like, you know, often you have like, the kids don't want to go to school, right? Well, so then yeah. it's amazing. You pick them up and I'm like, wow, you look great. Well, what do you mean I look great? Like, wow, you look so happy and wonderful. I said, well, why do you think? I don't know. The last time I saw you, you were like upset. really you upset. You don't want to go to school. Oh, yeah, right. Ah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, oh, you remember that? Remember that? Yeah. yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, more, well, you know, and, and it's, that, it's helping the kids realize themselves jolt to the... Uh, it's, it's really good uh, today, the coffee. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it's his uh, suggestion that it, uh, it be stronger. Just a little bit. Okay, let's, let's move on. Uh, so, we can find uh, examples of these, ty- of these types of personalities in the legends of the, the Talmud and the Torah. So, for example, there was the very who was cute, they called him Choref Umakse, or Umakse, sorry. They called him sharp in his learning because every single day he would spend a certain time learning and then ask himself 20 questions on what he learned. When he had the answers to those questions, he would go over the subject again to see if there were more questions he could ask. He was constantly refuting his own answers, and revising his philosophies. We have other words for that today. Neurotic. <laughs> no. That's what it takes. No, but Isidore Rabi, the Nobel Prize winner, Isidore Rabi, he, he said, they asked him, how did, you, how did you, somebody like you, become a Nobel Prize winner? And he said, when I came home from school every day as a child, my mother would not say, how was school? She would say, did you ask a good question today? That became the, 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 the essence of his thinking, his critical thinking, is that he was taught from a young age to ask questions. So don't, I mean, you, you, you can make fun of it all you want, but the idea of being critical, critical thinking is an unbelievable trait to you've teach got, children. It's the most essential trait, yeah. in my you've opinion. You've got to relentlessly attack your own knowledge. When, like in my team, yeah. we have something like, now we're going to study GDPR. It's going to be like, okay, there's the object. Relentlessly attack it from every single and, and you, angle, and you cannot become complacent on your philosophy. No. It could be you will be proven wrong. It could be you're going to learn something new. Even in Torah, what you thought you knew today 
may be disproved tomorrow. You're going to say, but, but, but what about yesterday? Yeah, it's true. That's what you knew yesterday, but now you learned something else. Mm-hmm. And to, to disprove that, and, and that, that essence of critical thinking is, I think, one of the secrets of what makes the Jews so mm-hmm. smart. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Reb Masna, he's another Talmudic sage. He was known as Moson Umasik. Patience. What's Makshe though? What's Makshe? Challenging. Okay, Chomet yeah, yeah. and, and, and Makshe, it's together. It's yeah, this whole yeah, exactly. Okay, this okay, is, okay. They used to call these people a particular type. These, what, what they was did the is they. This rabbi? Reb, Reb Zera, Reb Zera. The, the, These people became the prototypes in the Talmud of certain ways of thinking. So Reb Masna was another one. They called him Moson Umasik, which means the patient and conclusive. This is what rabbi? Rab? His name was Rav Masna. Masna. And Leon, you said they Zera. called him Mus- Musa? His, it was Musun Umasik. Patient and conclusive. Patient and conclusive. So Kabbalah says the difference between the two is that one was a great genius of the mind, but never came to a conclusion because as soon as he had a conclusion, he refuted his own reasoning. Reb Masna was not of superior intelligence. He wasn't the genius, but he was able to be conclusive and get to the bottom line. What's the bottom line? Remember, that's, that's the point. What is Uvechein? It's interesting that they relate that to patience. Kabbalah says there are two... It's interesting. Why do they relate that to patience? Why is it Masun? Very, it's, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Just follow like this. Think, right now, what you want to think about is which one is better. Which, which one do you think is better? Oh, not necessarily. We, in our society, critical thinking uh, is very powerful. And people spend a lot of time disproving and disproving science. If you're a student of science. The person doesn't have critical thinking? No. The what does he have? He has more of like um, an emotional thinking. He just... He's more interested in, give me the bottom line. I don't want to go through the whole critical thinking. I just want to know what's the maskana, what's, what's the conclusion. Mm. What's the two words, masun and masik? Huh? Masun umasik and chorof umash. No, what's masun and what's masik? Masun is patient and masik is uh, conclusive. Now, hmm. what, are the, what, are, what are we bringing out here? We're bringing out two very powerful Kabbalistic terms here. The first one is called Halbasha. What does that mean? Halbasha. Halbasha? Yeah. I don't know. You didn't, you didn't define it. Really. And the other one is called Hafshata. Um, like when you... The, the, I don't know how to say that. Like the most divine thing. Like it's not included at all. So Halbasha means to be within and clothed. Havasha, mm-hmm. from the word halvish, clothing, that you're clothed. And havshata means to be removed or to be uh, more... Um, like the essential idea? So, Reb Zeira, he's a genius of the mind. He represented an abstraction but was missing... Havshata means to be like more aloof. In the first chapter, remember, we yeah, 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 yeah. I, I need to so, go over all those terms. So, Reb who's like this genius of the mind, he represented an abstraction 
but was missing the bottom line. When Reb Masna had the virtue of the bottom line of embodiment. You see, what happened was he had all the critical thinking. He had all of the elements of critical thinking that allowed him to be a brilliant thinker, but he couldn't bring it into his life. He didn't see how possibly he could make this world a better place through his thinking. So he kept on asking questions and questions, and he'd refute the questions. And that ability of critical thinking is amazing as, a, as, as an educational tool. But if you can only think critically, and you're not able to take that critical thinking and bring it into the practical, then you've defeated the entire purpose of the critical thinking. And if you become complacent in your critical thinking, which means I thought about this long and hard and I came to this conclusion, and that's the conclusion I'm gonna carry for the next 50 years of my life. Well, then you've defeated the whole, point, the whole point of critical thinking to begin with. The whole point of critical thinking is because maybe something else will come later and you're gonna have a new question about it and you're gonna to have to think about it again. So let me ask you, which one between Habasha and Hafshata are we trying to say that Rab Zera was one and Rab, uh, Rab Mastin was the other? Right now, what I want you to... Okay, yes, we're, just, we're, just, I'm using, we're using these as analogies. Okay. And I want you to think about which one you uh, associate with more at this point. So what do we have? Or so so let's, let's, let's go back. Since Susie just walked in, let's go back and, and, and think about what are these two ways of thinking. There's two separate ways of thinking here. What's the first way of thinking? Or the first... Process? Very critical thinking. Critical thinking. Critical sharp thinking. Sharp and challenging. Sharp and challenging. Critical thinking. Answering and asking and asking and then relearning it to see if you have more questions and more questions. Like the Isidore Rabbi who said, Did you ask yourself a good question? Right? That's he said. He was, the reason why he was a, became a Nobel Prize winner is his mother would ask him that. Mm-hmm. And that's an amazing way of teaching our children, an amazing way of, of the critical thinking. And what's the opposite? What's the Rab Masna? What is that? Patient and conclusive. What does patient and conclusive mean? Not a genius, able to get to the bottom line, able to make a final determination, able to conclude. So now, think about it. If you had a choice, being able to critically think something, or being able to make a decision, great critical thinkers have a very hard making decisions. Mm-hmm. Because, well, this is a good idea, and that's a good idea. I mean, I, mean, I had another idea that was a good idea, so... A really hard time. Like, I don't know what. You're always counting. Always, but, oh, but I'm maybe that would work. Analysis. Maybe that would work. I mean, that one is good, and you're constantly it's paralysis by analysis. <laughs> so, which one do you think is better? You need a mix of both. You absolutely yeah. need. A mix Could you imagine being a critical thinker that can make really good decisions? Mm-hmm. Using your critical thinking. Bill Gates. <laughs> using the the key to Joe. success. In Talmudic terminology, is you use your critical thinking to become a good decision maker. Now, how do you do that? That's the great question. You do that by moach shalet al-halev, which means your mind guiding your emotions. You, you need your emotions, but you can't allow your emotions to guide because your emotions, they don't really know. They just feel. And that feeling can very easily become misconstrued with reality. Not always are those feelings true or their feelings right, but the mind will be able to differentiate through critical thinking whether the feeling is a feeling or not. But it's very interesting. It's very interesting also to, 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 to what this implies also is that you need to use your emotions to reach a conclusion or to make a decision. And it's That's very correct. true because 
when you're when you're analyzing stuff, you're breaking things down into their constituent parts and into their fragments, and you're just kind of like studying and studying and studying and studying. You go in circles, studying, studying, that. But the thing is, when you have to make a real life decision, there's always going to be a little bit of incomplete information. There's always going to be a little bit of um, uncertainty. There's always going to be a little bit of a fog that you wish that you had forever and ever to go in and just figure it all out. But you've got to make a decision. And as part of the process of making that decision, you need to integrate whatever information you've collected with your critical thinking. You need to also pull yourself together emotionally and develop a little bit of courage, right? And you've got to bring yourself to an emotionally heightened state to say, let's go. So without the emotions, so if, if you, you can't become, make a decision. If you become the geeks and what's the name of that show, play, uh, show again? The one that we were talking about before. Uh, Big Bang. Yeah. Uh, if you become Bang the geek, then and, and you make a joke of all your decisions, then you defeat the whole points of having the critical thinking of being the geek or being the the brilliant mind. What we want. But it's interesting because in the the show itself, the the mm-hmm. other the other person that basically balances them off is the non-geek who says who looks at them yeah eventually starts to understand their language and goes okay this is what we're doing yeah, yeah, yeah well they're still off and you know you see and blah, that's blah, blah, land. so what so that's what we want that's what we want see they're both wrong what what we want is we want <laughs> no really we want the geeks to to make decisions and to say okay that was enough thinking right now now we're going to get the job done we spent our time, we had our 20 minutes of thinking, now our job is to get done, make a decision. Oh, but the decision may be wrong. Good. Good. Mm-hmm. At least you made it. That's right. A bad decision sometimes is better than no decision. Right? You, you fail at all the things you don't try, or what, what's the say? All the choices, I forgot one of those sayings, but... All the shots you don't you make. Make, exactly. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Because the, the, thing, the thing with intelligence is that it can really go in so many different directions. It can go in so many different directions that are sometimes equally valid. So, like, you know, like, relativism. We talk about relativism, like, you know, you know, you have your truth, I have my truth, you have your truth, you have your truth. We all have our own truth, right? It's a problem, because if you have your truth and I have my truth, and you have your truth, and we can't even talk about it, it's like it's just private to each one of us, then how are we supposed to talk about truth together, right? Like, there has to be a sort of a hierarchy. But in a way, the mind is relativistic, in a sense. Like, you can, why? Because it's like, the rationality does not imply necessarily a direction. Because you can work with various different positions that are equally rational. Equally rational. Doesn't make them equally valuable, but they can be equally rational. That's the thing, in law we see that all the time, right? It's like, what we do is we come up with arguments for any position. You construct rationality, but it doesn't make it necessarily better. But the mind can just keep going in that loop forever. And, and never reach a point where it can go in a certain what direction. Is, what is the ideal lawyer in the Talmud? Tell me. You tell me. <laughs> what do you think is the ideal lawyer? I know the, the ideal Talmud? lawyer in, in the West, in Western civilization, and it's a very, very sad creature. But what's the ideal lawyer in the Talmud? What? I don't know. What? One who has a very strong structure of values and morals mm-hmm. and defends those. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily defends the person, but defends the person in accordance with the values and morals. The person with a sense of justice, which, which today we're like, yeah. Yeah, we take care of Cotler as well. He definitely has his, his sense of justice. And, and that, that's what the, that's, that's a Talmudic lawyer. Because what are you defending? You're defending a murderer? That's not your job to defend a murderer. Because he paid you? 
that's what it is. He's basically, you, you, you prostituted yourself to a murderer for money? There would be a way for that lawyer to defend a murderer that would be different than the way that exactly they purely which means career, the job of the lawyer, lawyer the job of the lawyer way. may be when the murderer you know because he's confided to lawyer client confidentiality when the murderer says I did do that the lawyer's job is to say well maybe you should pay pay for your actions and you should allow yourself to within the limits of the law whatever within the law, the, whatever the law that's the point of the law everybody so you know how like the, the exceptional cases people become more fascinated by so that's the, the typical case that oh what if a murderer told you that he committed a murder right an admission of a murder that's the, the, the case that fascinates everybody about lawyers right, right. do you guys have, have ethics or not I, first of all it's a very 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 exceptional instance where you have a murderer and there's an actual admission yes I did it mea culpa 100% I did it Hang me now. Yeah, so, and then there's different conceptions. The conception is like, no, the lawyer is there to protect the interests of the, and has no broader obligations to morality right. or society or others or whatever. But I think that is, is, is childish almost. It's extremely naive. I mean, in the instance of an actual, but I think the job of the lawyer is that, okay, if I had the direct admission, it's like, I should be professionally compelled to disclosing that. However, it doesn't mean whenever somebody's committed a crime, there's a sort of a passionate desire to destroy them by society, right? But even and the lawyer should be there to regulate that. Lawyers should be there to say, time out. Maybe the person did commit murder. Maybe the, the person did commit a horrendous crime. They're not by virtue of that completely dehumanized. They're not by virtue of that should be subject to unlimited vengeance. No. Right. There are concept, there, there's a context, there's an explanation, there might be mitigating factors, that person may need some psychological help, that person, blah, 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 blah. That should be the way that you should defend that particular person. Right. Right? So. I, I always think about that, that incredible story, and I think it's one of the most amazing stories of justice ever, was the story of Walter Rathenau. I've told it quite a number of times here. In 1928, he was the head of Germany General Electric. He was uh, a Jew, and he was assassinated. Mm because he was Jewish, before the rise of Nazism. And there were three assassins, young men. Two of them were killed on the spot, one of them was caught. The young 21-year-old Ernest Teckow. Ernst Teckow, he was caught. This was in Germany? In Germany, 1928. In Germany? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, while he's in prison waiting for his trial, Walter Rathenau's mother sends a letter to this young man. Now, what, do you, what, what could be in this letter? You flippin' idiot, you imbecile, you killed my only son. I mean, what, you know, like, well, the parent's grief of, of losing a child, it's unheard of. I mean, there's, there's not normal, that kind of grief. And she says the following thing in her letter. She says, if you admit to your wrongdoing in the court of law, and if you admit to your wrongdoing in the court of the heavens, I will forgive you. Oh. Ernst Teckow tells a story later on. He says that he held, he, he held that letter in, in his pocket his entire life, and it changed his life. Oh. Wow. He said he ended up confessing to the murder, and he spent 15 years in prison. He got out of prison in 1943. Mm joined the Foreign Legion, and smuggled over 700 Jews to Marseille wow. from Germany. It saved hundreds and hundreds of lives. And he sent a letter later on to Walter Rathenau's mother 
and said, I hope in some way this adventure is what wow. I did for your son. What a great story. And he, and he had been uh, assassinated because he was a Jew, but who had sent them? Who had sent the three? The, the point is, he's a young kid, and she changed the young man's like life. 20. And I, you know, as, as a result, he ended up making a huge change in his life. And she empowered, instead of him sitting and rotting in prison for the rest of his life, or what happens often is they get out of prison and they do the same thing over and over again. It just almost intensifies because they spend their entire time in prison thinking about how stupid the Jews are and how terrible the Jews are. And da, 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 and, he just, and he would have, 1943, what he could have done, he could have joined Germany. 1943, he could have joined the Nazi party. But instead, he spent 15 years thinking about what was he going to do to make Walter Rathenau's mother happy. And he saved 700 Jews. Amazing. So that sense of justice and the power that we have in our hands to be able to, to think about that. And I mean, that's a power of forgiveness and that's a different conversation all on its own. That's right. I mean, I'm not saying that we give up one for 700. No, save a life, save the world. But what's amazing is what that woman did with her letter to that young man. Now, she, that young man could have thrown that letter in the garbage. She bore, bared her soul to him and there's no way, there's no proof that he would have ever reciprocated. Hey, but look. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can go look it up. If, if it's, a chance, a very, it's a very well-known story. If there's a chance with, 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 with an action like that, that you, you can affect someone like that. Let's say out of 100 murderers, you, can, you have the power to affect five of them. Like five out of 100. It's a powerful action. I believe it's happening. It's For a powerful, sure. powerful For move, sure. Right? I mean, I remember when I was a... When I was doing chaplain in the federal prison system, I mean, the power that's happening there, the things that they're doing to try to affect that kind of change in, in, while they're incarcerated, it's unbelievable. Unbelievable. A lot of amazing things happening. It's a real opportunity. Yeah. Or it's also a real missed opportunity, which also happens. So let's try to, let's go back to this idea, these two examples. So these two critical thinking versus this, um, this, you know, getting to the bottom line, getting to the conclusion. So Kabbalah talks about that there are three accounts that a person should make before going to sleep every night. One is, what did I do today? It's the first question you should ask yourself before you go to sleep every night. What did I do today? The second is, what could I have done? So, what did I do today? What could I have done? For example, if I would have gotten up a half an hour earlier, I would have made it possible to learn a little more or to uh, be a little more calm before having to rush into the day. If a person had truly wanted to speak to someone nicely at uh, work or you know, in life, the person could have done it. The person can know who they are and what they can accomplish if they apply themselves. And what's the third thought? What will I do tomorrow? The third thought is the ultimate truth. The activity that relates to the true purpose of creation. For example, the person can say to himself after reading, let's say, the biography of a righteous person, of a great person, I know that it's completely beyond me to treat every living creature with kindness. I can barely restrain my anger toward people I consider my friends. But I know that this is the ultimate truth. Whatever the person's ultimate goal, 
That's the third meditation. That you should have a truthful goal. Every single night, you should say it, almost like a mantra. A little meditation. I'm gonna say that again. I know that it's completely beyond me to treat everyone with kindness. I can barely restrain my anger toward people I consider my friends, but I know that it's the ultimate truth. And you say it over and over and over again. It becomes so much part of who you are that when you do come to those moments throughout the day, you can come tonight and say, I did it. I had one accomplishment. I had one victory in my treating people nicely. So Mantra. This, this, third, this is the third thing you should have every day. There's a formulation in Hebrew, I, I presume. Um, we're going to get there soon. Or it's more like the... We're, 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 we're going to, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to get there soon. This is the meditation. So there's two things. What did I do today? What could I have done? And then my meditation of what is my victory? What's going to be my small, what is my small victory meditation? And that meditation will change over time. But what are you working... You identify your ultimate goal and realize what tiny It's not the ultimate goal in your life. It's the ultimate goal in your day. It's very important. How does that, how does that work? Because what you said was more like... In the Let's say you're life. someone who is more... Uh, you're the kind of person who is very easy to judge people. And you want to become someone who's less judgmental and more kind. So you say, I know that if I was a righteous person, ideally, in a perfect world, I would be less judgmental. But it's impossible, because I'm not righteous and I can't be. But it's the ultimate truth, to be less judgmental. We always have to ask, like, when our deeds will reach those other forefathers, even though it will never. We have to always know that there's something higher that we're striving for. We're not trying to be perfect, but we're trying to have small victories in our day. And if we have a little small victory in our day, which means we wanted to say something that would have pissed someone off and we didn't, because of that meditation that we did the night before, we can go to sleep tonight and we can say, I had a small victory today. And we can champion in our own mind that small victory. Now, why is it so important to have this little third meditation? It seems almost like, why? So, so I didn't do it. So I'm not. Like, give me, give me a break. Let me, leave me alone. I just want to go to the gym. That should be my meditation. It's hard to go. <laughs> I went. I thought of going to the gym. <laughs> He real strides to go to the Kabbalah says that what could I have done? Those small <laughs> victories will lead to more and more and more. The push for growth comes from being aware of the ultimate truth. That's how we become better. And it's not we're trying to to shoot for this amazing, incredible thing. It's that Every single day we did something small and together over the course of those 365 days of the year, 365 small victories equal to one really incredible victory. And that's a year. By itself, by itself, the ultimate truth may not have much use. It's like a fantasy. It's not possible to be able to reach. We can care, it's comparable to what we call hafshata, which means abstraction. It has no result. It has no bottom line. It's in the world of critical thinking. 
On the other hand, if you focus only on the practical accomplishments of today, then you have no soul essence in it. It's wonderful. You can pick yourself up. You can make yourself feel good. You can go to sleep with a smile, which is also is valuable, but there's no soul essence in it. It would be like habasha, which means the embodiment alone. Clothing and analogies and illustrations that never actually get to the point. When there's a combination of the two, there's a driving force to bring the ultimate truth of abstraction to the real world. This is the ultimate. The ultimate, the idea of having an ultimate truth and actually being able to live it on a day-to-day basis. Yes. Well, I was just actually thinking the opposite. I was saying it's a, it's a, it's a truth that is related to the betterment of the world. Because, that's the point. That's because, what we're trying to bring out today. That's right. Because it's like, I know it's completely beyond me to treat everybody well. I can barely contain my anger at my friends, but I know it's the ultimate truth. It's like, so I've got to find my personal truth that sort of interlocks with that more general truth of making the world a better place. So it's not just personal. It's got to be personal for it to mean anything to me. But then it also has to be related to making the world a better place. That's right. And, and that's sort of like the alignment of the internal and the external. Exactly. <clears throat> Now, we, we, the Talmud compares this to two, two fascinating terms. The first one is called a neshama, a soul, and the other one is called a goof, a body. That within us, there's a body and a soul. Now, it sounds very obvious. Now, in order for a person to survive in this world, we need both body and soul. Now, in fact, without a proper combination of the soul and the body, there will be a breakdown of the human mechanism. Could anyone operate with only a soul, negating health, negating sleep, negating bodily needs? Yes. <laughs> you wish. Imagine. Mm, even so. <laughs> what would it lead to? It would lead to a deterioration of the body, resulting in death, in which the soul will ascend and it won't be able to express its qualities in the practical world. And the purpose of the soul coming here is to be able to express its qualities in the practical world. That's our job here. We are souls in bodies trying to make the world a better place. So now let's see the opposite. What happens if a person wants to function with body only? They totally disregard the soul. Taking their entire day focused on eating and sleeping and drinking and schedule for health, schedule for bodily needs, leaving no time for the soul to operate in their daily life. What happens? They end up becoming very empty. They basically negate their essence. They, they, you know, people who look at all these celebrities who have money, 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 and they're so miserable. They end up in rehab. They end up self-medicating. They have to literally leave this world in a, in a medication way in order to, to, to stay real because they have no soul. They literally have so, des- so let's destroyed define, the inner soul. Can, can we just take a couple seconds to define soul? Ah, the soul is the spirit. It's the life force. It's that part of ourselves that 
help, wants us to rise higher, literally, wants us to make the world a better place, that wants us to, to be a better person, to grow. Who is to, uh, seeking the halo. Seek, seeking more than the halo. Seeking as a flame rises higher, the soul wants to be a better person. No, but, but, uh, okay, I was thinking of this this morning. It's really funny that you say that. Halo top ice cream? What are you talking about? I was, um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, the neshama, when you say the neshama, do you mean the actual neshama or are they just calling it the neshama to... to, to... Right now in our studies, we're going to call it neshama. <laughs> We're gonna, they're not, they're not going to at some point as we, as we grow through this, we're going to decompartmentalize the but soul. Right now, the same way we can decompartmentalize the body into limbs and signums and veins and all those wonderful things, we can actually so, decompartmentalize the soul as well. Because you're okay. describing the soul as the spirit. So these two are not separate entities. This is the, the, the life force. The life, the force. life force. You know, you ever talk to somebody who's had an out-of-body experience? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. So they always say the same thing. Um, as a rabbi, I get to talk to people sometimes like this. You know, so they, they'll confide in me these out of body. So they'll say, I could smell. It was so the smells were so great that I could see it so perfectly. No, hold on, wait, 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 relax, relax. Was it an in the body experience or out of body? Out of body experience. You had no eyes there. You had no ears there. We believe and we know, according to our teachings, that it's not the eyes that see and it's not the ears that hear and it's not the the mouth that speaks. It's the soul while it's in the body, uses the eyes to see and uses the ears to hear. That's why the eyes have openings, the ears have openings, the mouth has... All the openings are ways that the soul expresses itself through the body. Okay, can we, can we also say this? Can we also say, and I don't know, maybe it's one of the compartmentalizations of the soul, whatever, Okay, but... We also say, because when you say, I'm just trying to get to the core of this idea of, okay, we know if we focus only on the soul without the body, that's, that's an easy one to understand. Neglect the body, whatever, right? You can do it via different, different ways. But let's focus, let, the other one is a little bit tougher. So if you focus only on the body, and by the way, that's the one that our entire civilization is based on. Focusing only on the body, only on the material, only the Greek, on the, the Greeks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that's what we have. The Greeks left us the gyms the and the horoscopes. It's the, it's the West. Yeah. Thing, okay. So that okay. So I, the four following formulations we can all relate to. You end up feeling empty. You end up feeling disconnected from your essence. You end up feeling disconnected from other people. We, we can, okay. This is where it gets a little if bit... If you don't have prayer, you don't spend time no, working yes. on your no, but essence. I just want to say how that relates to the concept. It's very simple. So, is it... When you, when you have, can when we say the following? Can we say okay. the following? Can we say that the soul is the part of you that is connected to others? And to... You could say Hashem or the cosmos. Or Somebody who spends their entire day in the gym. And they... You know what I'm saying? They look, what are they, they look buffed. What is it for? What is it for? Is it for connecting to others? Or is it for removing oneself to, from others? Oh, oh right. There's, it could there's be both. a lot of layers. No, <laughs> but, no but let's, Sh- shall I make let's use, our, let's use our critical thinking to think about it. Are you showing off? Or are you trying to, in essence, connect? Connection doesn't mean showing off. It doesn't mean saying I'm better than you or I, have, I did something or to, to try to build yourself right. up by People putting others down. Attractive to others, or being attractive. But, but that's, not connection. Way, connection, that's not connection. 
a soul connection. So that's what I'm saying. So soul is, is related to the concept of connection a little bit. It's well, one of the ways. One, it's of, one the of the ways. elements of the soul. It's one of the elements of the soul. It's connection to what are what are we doing? Souls. What are we doing right now? We're sitting around the table. We're having a very, I would say, a deep conversation. Is anyone trying to put anyone down by putting themselves up? No. Is anyone trying to show off? No. Is anyone trying to, uh, I don't know, have some kind of uh, mental exercise for the sake of mental exercise? What we're having here is an absolute soul connection, almost disregarding the body to a certain extent besides this wonderful coffee. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you tried some? It's amazing. It no, but it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. Let's try, let's try a little bit. It's unbelievable coffee. We got, we got the recipe down. Got the recipe down. So, so let, let's just take this a step further. Just as the body needs food, the soul needs its spiritual food. Not giving the soul its nourishment is improper and actually becomes destructive to the soul. These two methods are we call nishama bli guf and guf bli nishama. The soul without the body and the body without the soul. We find the same idea with regards to the difference between studying what is called nigle which is the revealed aspects of the Torah, and Nistar, which is the concealed, the esoteric part of the Torah. The Talmud would be considered part of Nigle, part of the revealed elements of the Torah, since it discusses uh, tangible things like marriages, uh, holidays, food, and so on, kosher, all those kinds of things. The information contained in the Talmud is open and revealed to the human experience. And very much, uh, you know, in the intellectual realm. On the other hand, the Kabbalah is called Nistar. Since its concepts are esoteric and abstract, the person's intellect is lost to its overwhelming, lofty information. If a person decides to study Kabbalah only and not spend time on the Talmud, it's incorrect. The feet must be firmly planted on the ground while the mind is ascending to the sky. The feet must be firmly planted on the ground while the mind is ascending to the sky. How can you teach Kabbalah then to people that don't have experience? So when I teach it, I'm going to teach it in a way that has both. As as you can see... That's why you give the history and... Exactly. I give the history, I give the background, I'll also make sure to connect it to practical application, and I will bring a lot of Talmud into the the conversation so that it's kind of a balance. The conversation is not balanced. So it doesn't have to be like actually Torah, like Parsha and things like that. It can be just Talmud and and Kabbalah. Absolutely. Just as long as your feet are firmly planted to the ground, you don't start floating somewhere. I I think that people... I mean, we live in such a practical world. I think Kabbalah also comes at a time now in our history where it helps us to just snap Separate, out of that, yeah. snap out of that just grounded stuff. But you're right. But we need. But yeah, but that's just in regard to Torah. Like, per, like you're right. People, particularly Torah. People who like to get high, they know you can get high off Kabbalah. Mm-hmm. Right. You can have a real. Hi, no, but what you're saying is very interesting because it's like whenever you're in one extreme, it's going to create a, a desire for the other extreme. So when you're mm-hmm. firmly, firmly planted, you're going to want to just completely run away. But no, that's not the ideal of Kabbalah. That's not the ideal. You need to have 
You need both. I love this. You need quote. both. The feet must be firmly planted on the ground while the mind is ascending to the sky. That's you, a great you quote. You need that, both equally. That's from this guy. From me. That's from you. Yeah. That's your quote. My quote. I've I've uh, I've I've, I've cemented. I, I've crystallized it. It's a otherwise, great quote. otherwise, what happens? The person can fly away. <laughs> this is a great quote. Not really, not really having an experience that becomes beneficial. And the same way happens if you start studying things. If you start studying, let's say, the revealed aspects without the hidden aspects, you become you become a body without a soul. This would be similar to someone who has their feet stuck in quicksand, unable to look up above, too occupied with what's below. In a contemporary idea, this would be, let's say, the analogy to be around negative people. To be around negative people is what? You're going to notice that your own statements and expressions become negative. Since all that you hear or see is negative, and that negativity is projected onto others. There's a term within the Talmud that says, Ola Rasha, Ola Shkono. Who you're around has an effect on who you are. If you, so some people, someone told me, was talking to me yesterday and telling me that they have to help this person. She's so negative, but she has to help her. I said, are you in a space that you can help her without being affected by the negativity? No. So I said, you can't. You can't. You're not allowed to. You have to find someone who can mentor this person who is already above the negativity and will not be affected by it. Or, but sometimes it becomes interesting and the gossip and the, and the, and, and it's, you know, and now it's like, you want to know more. Oh, 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 what, what was that? What was that? Tell me more. Tell me more. So, and that, and then, and then, and then what ends up happening is the same thing that happens after you finish, after you finish a two hour movie, you just feel disgusting afterwards. Like, what did I just do for the past two hours? It also feels good to feel that like you're the savior and like you're the, you know what I mean? You should think about when you leave a conversation or an experience or a, a movie how do you feel afterwards? Do you feel rejuvenated, relaxed, uplifted, empowered, inspired, or do you feel disgusted? And that will give you an idea of the idea of body without a soul or soul without a body. What you want to do is you want to feel rejuvenated and relaxed and also empowered and excited to be able to do something. For this, this is the reason that we have to incorporate both. And in every single time, you're going to find the Talmud is going to be very conscious and clear about balance. You have to know balance. And how do you find balance? Says Maimonides, says the Rambam. Remember this? How do we find balance? We have to go to the opposite extreme. You don't try to find the middle. You find the balance by going to the opposite extreme. The opposite extreme of what? Of whatever it is. If you're someone who is more critical, you have to become overly kind. You'll find find the balance. You have to force yourself to be overly kind. If you're someone who's very overly kind, you force yourself to be overly critical. Whatever your nature is, you go to the opposite extreme to find your balance. And that's constantly in our lives. The balance never is in the middle. It's kind of going like a pendulum. But you don't want a pendulum going like this, all the way back and forth all the time. You want a pendulum going back and forth. Ideally, 59 to 41, uh, 49 to 51, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. A little tiny pendulum where you constantly balance. That's what we kind of, is the ideal of an individual. So that's why you're gonna find that there's a very systematic, organized study of the esoteric concepts. 
Yet, at the same time, they're very relating to it through the intellectual faculties. So that every person, regardless of their level of understanding, regardless of their innate traits, they can try to find their balance within it. You can use these studies as kind of a, a moral and ethical balance to be able to find yourself within it. Now, what if, says, what if someone says, I'm not ready for this? I'm not ready to actualize my soul. I just want to operate with my body. I'm happy. I can barely get a handle on my body. I mean, I barely eat well, and I barely go to the gym. I mean, I, 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 don't start uh, confusing me with uh, other things. What's going to end up happening? You need both of them. You can't expect to be good when it comes to eating well in the body without feeding the soul as well. They both need, and you're gonna find very often people who have a more developed soul have an easier time taking on diets and taking on regimens of exercise because it's not, it's not, they're not mutually exclusive and they're not different. They're one the same. This is what we're gonna call the combination of halbasha, which means embodiment, and havshata, which means abstraction. This is the, the, the two opposite extremes. And you're going to find very often, as you know for, from some of our other lessons, that we have a lot of opposites. And we talk about the opposites because what are we trying to do? We're trying to find the balance between the two. So here, this opposite, it's a, a very deep opposite. It's embodiment versus abstraction. So what is that? It's the result. What it results in is the wisdom that is totally beyond ordinary rational understanding, which at the same time is clarified through illustrations, parallels and examples, in such a way that the depths of understanding is brought down to the real world without compromising its status. So we're not trying to, to compromise the modus operandi which includes the depth of understanding, the critical thinking, the, the understanding of, let's say, even God, trying to find you know, that deeper dimension of our lives. So what we want to do is we want to incorporate many teachings, many thoughts, which are totally abstract and esoteric, while at the very time, the same time, the sensible approach to bring the mind down to the real world where it can actually understand and feel the emotion towards these things. It's so important that we take that critical thinking and we feel it. So here's the great question today because we're talking about extremes and we're trying to find the balance in the middle. How do you be a critical thinker and bring that down into your emotions? How do you bring thought into emotion? What's the process of bringing thought into emotion? Is this, is this too complicated? Are we Just talking think about, about it all the time. You think about it all the time and you become uh, uh, somewhere in the sky somewhere. The, where, how do you put your feet on the ground? Isn't that that? like when you can think about something all the time, you brainwash yourself with it, then eventually you start feeling it. Wait, wait, wait. There, there's, let's, 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 start from, let's start from the first step. My experience with bringing something very intellectual down into, it's like you gotta take step one. And it's like, the rest of the steps just sort of follow after you take step one. You have to put something in movement, to put something into concreteness, whether it's 
writing something, whether it's uh, creating something new, you have to take a first step. A material step. There's a kind of a way that we can we can see maybe these these different ideals like um, like critical thinking, like uh, you know, like abstract understanding or like appropriate action. They're almost like like those things are pictures, and re- like we have to make them into a movie. Okay, so it's like these things are like okay, like this quality, like compassion. That's a picture, you know. Um, judgment. It's very. That's a picture. But then, to bring them into the practical world, we have to create a movie. What's a movie? It's like you said. You put these things into movement. But, that's why I think the example of like the, the parables and the illustrations, it's what you do like from parables and illustrations is that you can take multiple pictures and you put them in movement and you sequence them in action and you just it's like, you know, this can happen and then go, oh, that, oh, oh and that, that's when you behave in this way. So it's, you've got to sort of take those, all those pictures and insert them into the dimension of time and sequence them in, 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 into that movie. You said a key, yeah. a key, a key piece here. More than sequencing, we have to know, number one, that we are creatures limited by time and space. Mm. That is the limits of our understanding. That's right. Time That's and right. space. So, any time we have critical thinking that we're trying to get to that's beyond time and space, mm. unless we have the parameters of time and space that are set into it, we cannot go there. Because it doesn't make any sense for us. It's not going to make this world a better place. We have to be very careful to try not to do it. Like one of the big, th- I mean, example is like people who start using Ouija boards and, you know, trying to want to know the future. That's not our goal. Our goal is not to want to know the future. Our goal is to, why do we want to know the future? Because we can change the future. Yeah. We start, we'll start executing the thing that if we you believe think, our future to be this yeah. self-fulfilling prophecy thing, you know? We don't believe that there is a future. The future is the result of the actions that we do today. There's no predestined future. Well, there's that expression, the best way to predict your future is to create it. If you, if you go to a psychic and the psychic tells you something that's going to happen in the future, that's a very bad idea because you will be... How, what happens? Often it does come true because you become the self-fulfilling prophecy of that. I did go to a psychic many years ago, way before I met David, and it described him. That's wonderful. It could be that the psychic described him and that's as a result. You, when you met him, you kind of like, oh... That's the one that she was talking about. Yeah, that's possible. But it's also possible that that psychic saw it. and like, It could be. Possible. It could be. It's all possible. But we have to be very careful. Psychics usually will tell you, or card readers will usually tell you, this is what this says. This is what the ball says. This is what the tea leaves say. This, but you can change it. If they're honest, yes, exactly. they'll tell you, you can change it. Yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you something. Is the only way to express... I'm exaggerating the way I'm going, to, I'm going to formulate it. It's an exaggeration. But I, I want to put this to you. Is the only way that we can express these lofty concepts in a real way, the only way, is through a story? No. Okay. Through a story? Through a story. Okay. You understand why I'm asking that question? You don't understand why I'm asking that question? I am. Okay. I am understanding. 
narrative is a very powerful tool. It's a tool that we tell ourselves every single day. I, we I've give always give ourselves at, a narrative every day. At, I was as, as you know. As many of you know, I, I've always been fascinated by stories. I love storytelling. I love the power of a story. I love the, being able to create emotional feelings based on a story. It's my, it's, I once heard there was a, of a woman. She's still alive. She's in her 90s now. Wonderful middle lady. Her name is Pina Shram. She is the only professor of storytelling in the world. Mm-hmm. Professor of NYU. She, at NYU, she, she just retired. And when I went to meet her, she told me, and I think about it all the time. She said, I asked her, what is the most important thing I have to know about storytelling? She said, stories don't exist. Mm-hmm. They're just sequence of events that the storyteller tells. What's more important than the story is the narrative. What are you telling yourself? How are you telling it? It's so interesting how I've often been somewhere and I've heard someone tell a story about that and it could be a positive streak to that story. It could be a negative streak. It could be they're focusing on certain elements of that story that I would have never thought about. Well, why are you even focusing on that? Or they're bringing out an element of that story that really doesn't, like, why do you even want to bring that out? What's the point? Why are you even telling that story? Some people so, live inside of stories. So the story, the story does not. The, yeah, the, yeah. the, the, the story is what's more important is the narrative, narratives. which means... If you're someone who is negative by nature and you're critical by nature, don't tell stories. <laughs> yeah. You're not gonna make many friends. No, just yeah. don't tell them. Just don't. Storytelling. That's why I'm answering you. Okay, Storytelling no, is not the that, medium through which you can study. But, but but that's a little bit different, Rabbi. It's a little bit different because what I'm saying is not that a story, by definition. Um, embodies these real concepts. That's all I'm saying. There's, there's, there's good stories and bad stories. There's stories that, that can... I mean, most stories, we can agree, most stories, most stories are going to be somewhat limited, limiting, false, partial, right? How, I mean, it's like how does the Torah tell a story? When the Torah tells stories, how does it tell a story? What's the, the basis of the story? What is, how, it's yeah, always a challenge. Many things happened in that time period with Abraham and, 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 and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca. All those th- other things happened that we don't know about. Yeah. I mean, That's they right. live long lives. We just know like two like, paragraphs of it, right? Absolutely. Like, for example, Abraham is born. It's very selective. Abraham, Abraham is born, and the next statement after he's born, it says, Lechacha mm-hmm. that he left. Like a it says he left his homeland and his father's house. What is it saying? Think about it. Just listen to the story. So Abraham is born. And then all of a sudden we hear, Lech Lecha, go. It says, go from... There's a huge gap. It's like Moses when he did his family. It's like Moses went back at like 85 years old. And then, so it didn't tell anything about the first 75 years of his life. We know he's 75 when that happens. But then it's going to say words that are so superfluous, like these adjectives, like go from your homeland and from your father's house to the place that I'm going to tell you. Why? Why? What is that narrative right there? And then all of a sudden, we've got all these commentaries on it. You know, lech lecha means go into yourself. It means self-reflect. And from your father's house means that at some point you have to leave your place of origin and not victimize your son, yourself, and don't be like the Freudian uh, inner child. You have to leave your father's house. You have to realize that you have to become your own person. Don't live in the narrative that you've created for yourself of your parents. So how is the Torah telling the story? 
this Torah is telling the story in a way that's reflective for you. So that you can create your own destiny and choice as a result of the narrative of the Torah. You can look into those words and those words become meaningful to you and you're able to find your purpose and meaning and live your life. Everyone has their own midrash, their own extraction, their own parable, their own narrative. But, 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 but okay, this is interesting because this is what I meant. So, just full disclosure, I, I'm more comfortable in uh, non-story mode, right. in like analytical mode, like what we call non-fiction, okay? I like non-fiction. Okay. But I love, we love stories too, the stories are amazing. But what I'm saying is that just, just like the Torah picked stories to communicate as, as the vessels to communicate these, these concepts, okay? What I mean is that you know, take conceptual and make it real and unite the conceptual and, 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 and the real, in a sense, you almost have to do it through a story because that's when the concept is going to be embodied in time and space, in, in reality. It's going to have to mean something to an actual human being, right? Affecting their behavior, affecting the way they conceptualize the world, affecting the way that they live in order for it to be real. Otherwise, it's not real. Otherwise, Absolutely. it's just up there. Absolutely. So it must be a story Absolutely. in a sense. So the answer was yes. No. The answer is not yes. The answer is no, 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 no. not yes. Which means... Again, it's like... Uh, the, answer, the answer is yes for Fred. Why? Because that's what works for Fred. No. Because Fred... No, because Fred doesn't like stories for Fred. Fred doesn't yeah. like narratives. He doesn't like stories. So we know for sure Fred is going to use a narrative of the story in the proper way. Whereas maybe somebody else, like me, who loves stories, I have to be much more careful. All right. Oh, I see what you mean. Oh, 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 okay, but that's that's another question, Rabbi. That's another question. That can your propensity for like storytelling? Can, but that, that's a completely different, 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 different sequence of thoughts. Because which, what what I'm saying is that in order to take concepts and make them real in real life, three D reality, right? It's like I'm going to talk to you about compassion. Compassion is a series of characteristics that are related to the left side of the brain. Okay, perfect. Analysis. Great analysis of compassion. Beautiful. What does that look like in real life? Yeah. But then it's like, okay, you know, I saw a person that was like a terrible human being and in that moment they needed some help and I rose above it and, 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 and we, I, I gave him something and then 14 years later they repaid and they were, oh, like now it's real. Okay? Take that, that concept, that almost like two-dimensional, pure conceptual understanding, and you embody it into real life, okay? So, that's amazing, that's great. Now, midot and sechel, okay? So, so, now we've taken that knowledge and we've made it emotional and real, we can relate to it, it's great, we've got the conceptual of it. But in order to make it real, we had to express how that concept manifested itself or was embodied by an actual human being. And the way that we did that was through a story. Now. If you're naturally like attracted to stories, it's it's very true that you are more prone to false stories or like like stories. Stories are like they're like a tool, just like just like they're they're, they're a vessel. They're a vessel through which you can do a million things, right? I mean, every single ideology. I mean, right? Every single t- tyrannical ideology has narratives and stories around it. Every single false understanding has also the ability to spin it within stories. They're false stories, yes. However, still, it would still remain that in order to express these 
the, the, the true concepts, the truth in an embodied way, I almost like, I almost, that we can do it in the pure conceptual way. But if we do it in the pure conceptual way, if I go up to... Um, and what do you, well, then, then, then what happens? Well, the, the, it, it becomes, it becomes, uh, uh, I become like, Rav Zeira. Just, it's, it's out there, it's out the knowledge is there. I'm able to contest it and precise it and add a, an exception and add a thing. There's compassion, but there's also judgment. There's other, and I'm going to go around the circles. Mm-hmm. I'm never, it's never going to be able to sink to the... Exactly. So, Rav Masne level so, of... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you, and I'm also going to uh, give a little disclaimer as well. Okay. Two weeks ago in my sermon, on Saturday, I told a story. A story I heard when I was a child. I think because I heard it as a child, I never gave it too much thought beyond the narrative of which I heard it in. Many people came over to me after that story and told me that they were very disturbed by the story. Many. Mm. Well, many. Uh, many meaning if there was 30 people in the room, I'd say 10 of them. Wow. I consider that many. No way. Yeah, that is many. I don't... But they were really, really disturbed by the story. What was the story? I'll tell you the story in a second. And that gets us thinking about the power of the narrative and the way in which the narrative is expressed and, and even more so, and this is what I want to bring out, the self-reflection that happens as a result of listening to the narrative. Because the people who are really were really disturbed by the story, were not disturbed by the story. They were disturbed because they perhaps saw themselves while I was telling the story in the same narrative and they say they would not have made the same choice. For sure, they took it personally. They took it personally. They said, I, I would not have made... But you're stories personally. So, so, here's the question. And this is what I was saying to these people. I'll tell you the story in a second. <laughs> but, I saying, but I want to give you the, the, the analytics of the story before I tell it to you is that if you take the story personally, then it means there's some way that it affects you. If it affects you, don't, don't, see what, in our society, we immediately disregard because of my preconceived understanding of a narrative, my own narrative, we pre, we totally disregard everything else, Mm -hmm. which means this doesn't fit into the my way of seeing the world. I don't like this way. The way I was taught the way I've been educated, the way I've lived my life, it doesn't fit this way. So what am I going to do? I'm going to try to find illustrations that illustrate my way of thinking, Absolutely. my way of looking at the world. All day. That's all The do. best thing you can do is confirm find people who... Confirm our own knowledge. Yes. Confirm Absolutely. yourself, yes. lift yourself up, give yourself a rah-rah, and happy birthday. What you want to do is find people who, who think completely different than you and listen to their stories, and challenge yourself based on them. Very difficult to do. Very difficult. So here's the story. The story was from the town of Posen, in the times of the Baal Shem Tov, talking a little over 300 years ago. There was a duke, the landowner of the town of Posen, who, as many landowners of those time, was anti-Semitic, and decided that he was going to throw the Jewish people out, and he had given them one month to leave. The rabbi of the town of Posen, his name was Baruch Batlan. He was distraught, and the people came to him and said, what do we do? We have nowhere to go. And so he didn't know what to do, so he went to his rabbi, the Baal Shem Tov. He travels to the Baal Shem Tov, and the Baal Shem Tov tells him, the only way you're going to be able to 
solve your problem is by going to this and this town, I forgot the name of the town, and finding a man there, his name is Reb Zalman. Take Reb Zalman to the Duke, and everything will be okay. So he goes to this town, they ask around, they find this man, he's a teacher, Reb Zalman. Okay. Reb Zalman is in his 90s. He cannot move. He's bedridden. They say, the Hashem told us that we have to take you to the town of Posen to the Duke. I can't move. I can't move. I, I'm an old man. Well, you must go. Back and forth and back and forth. Finally, he agrees to go because, he's, you know, the Baal Shem Tov said, the Baal Shem Tov said. They go and travel, very difficult travel for this man, an old man. They're, they're holding him up. They're taking care of him, making sure that he's okay as they travel. Finally, they get, they get to the Duke. The Duke takes one look at him and says, take this man and throw him in the dungeons. Reb Zalman is sitting there, I understand. I was bedridden, I'm an old man, sitting here, what did I even come here for? Why, what, what's this little story? What's this, it's crazy. A few hours go by, and he's thinking about all these crazy, like what's going on in his life, and he hears footsteps. Before him, he sees the shadow of two men. He can see the duke and the priest. priest says, I've been brought here to convert you to Christianity. If you don't convert now, I have in front of me a bowl of hot lead. I will pour it down your throat. Accept Jesus as your Savior now, or I pour the hot lead down your throat. The man doesn't think twice. Zaman opens up his mouth, and he's closes his eyes and he says, Shema Yisrael. Without a flint, a flinch of a thought. As he is reciting the Shema, he could feel the hot lead coming closer. And the spoon is coming close to his mouth and he has all of the right thoughts and screaming on top of his lungs that God is one. He's doing this, he's dying, sanctifying the name of God and doing exactly what he's been taught all his life, that you never convert to another religion, that you are a Jew your whole life and you're a Jew for life. As the hot lead touches his throat, something strange happens. He tastes it and it's not hot lead, it's honey. You can't understand all the emotions. What happened, what's going on? So the Duke turns to him and tells him the following story. He says, a young boy ran away from home and was thrown out of his home. Went from town to town, a street child. And a young teacher took him in. Treated him as his own son, fed him and clothed him and took care of him and gave him a roof over his head for a number of years. Every single day, the young boy would listen to the teacher teaching his students. One day, teacher was teaching his students that the greatest thing that you can do in your life is to sanctify your, 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 your soul in the name of God. To die on Kiddush Hashem, sanctifying the name of God. And if you are brought to this particular space and you have every intention to do it, but it doesn't actually happen, it's as if you did it. That's the greatest mitzvah you can do. Years have gone by. I've thought about this man who's saved my life. 
this young teacher. And when you came into my chambers, I recognized you right away as the young teacher who saved my life. And I was been looking, thinking about for years how, if I ever saw you, I'd repay you. And I figured the best way to repay you is by giving you the opportunity to experience this mitzvah that you told your students is the greatest mitzvah. And so I set this all up. It's so twisted. <laughs> <laughs> you set this all up with the Baal Shem Tov also? No, 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 no. Okay. I set this all up. He said, I thought about it for years, how I repay you. And this is how I repaid you. Wow. <laughs> Pretty intense. <laughs> he said, of course, I remember you. And, and, and I remember your kindness to me. And I'm going to allow the Jews to stay in Posen. And actually, for many years afterwards, Posen became one of the cities of which not only the Duke, but his son and his grandson and the great-grandson always allowed the Jews were able to live happily for many years afterwards in that town. And that town, as a result of the kindness of Reb Zalman to this landowner, to this Duke as a young child. And his memory, years later, of the power. And when you said your sermon, you didn't even like make a... Like now I think you said a bit more about... about uh, like... Kiddush Hashem, but like on your sermon, it wasn't, you didn't even make it such a big deal. You didn't say, this is the thing, and no one should convert it. Like, you didn't say that. Okay. So what were people affected about in the Yeah. A lot of people felt that if they were confronted with that story, they would, they would convert. And so many people in the Holocaust did that. And it's all about survival and saving your life. And the Spanish Inquisition, and how are you to like what kind of message are you sending and it's a message of martyrdom and it's a message that is really bad in our society people are blowing themselves up the same way what are we what is the message that we're sending so this is the this was the the difficulty oh, i see so it is it is a very twisted story i'm not going to it's like real mind-bending it's a real mind-bending story but and and it's my mistake perhaps that i didn't give the proper Why context. Why did you say to... that story again? Now I'm thinking about it. Why did you say that? <laughs> I was trying to bring out a point, but that doesn't matter. The, 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 what I'm saying today is that, and I'm answering your question with the same story, saying that we're going to find our own narrative in that story. Whether you agree with that story, exactly. don't agree with the story. Exactly. Whether you agree with that Reb Zalman or you don't agree with that, with, with that Reb Zalman. If, you know, the, the, we have to be very careful in the narrative not to get stuck in, in our own narratives. Mm. And it could be yes. that Reb Zalman's narrative is the right one. It could be it's wrong. It doesn't matter what's right and wrong. It could be wrong for you today. It could be wrong for you today. Not wrong for him then. Exactly. Mm. It could be that he lived in a different time, in a different space. Exactly. So you can't even really fully relate to it. It could be that, based on our story earlier, that Walter Rathenau's mother made a big mistake by sending that letter. She should have allowed justice to pursue. But this is where I'm going to disagree with myself, which I'm allowed to. I'm allowed to. <laughs> right? And you wonder why your son argues you? <laughs> Are you kidding me? If we're not allowed One of to... my favorite lawyer lines <laughs> is at the risk of becoming redundant. Yeah, right. <laughs> what, what, what do you yeah. say when you write that, right? Yeah, yeah. At the, the risk, risk of, of being... Redundant. At the yeah. risk of sounding redundant. The, so the thing is, 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 if we're not allowed to disagree with ourselves, then we are doomed and condemned to remain where we are in one particular exactly. point, which would be a prison. So I, so I love this with myself, I do it all the time. In this case, I'm gonna disagree with myself, and I'm gonna say, okay, so you, you give out the story, which is 300 years ago, in a different time and place, a duke, we don't even know really the reality of what even it means to live inside of a place ruled by a duke. We can't even relate to it, really, with our direct experience. 
And this is where I think it's important. Being Moroccan, you should be able to do, to to <laughs> specifically yeah, exactly. every Moroccan relate dad, to it. Every Moroccan dad is a duke. Um, so so <laughs> so so. In order to like, if we're gonna tell a story, if we're gonna tell a story, with the, not just a story to pass time. It's not entertainment. It's not. It's not just a story. It's a story with a message. It's a story with a point, with a moral, with something. So. If we're going to tell that kind of a story and it comes from a time and place that we can't relate to, it then becomes very important to create another device, which is what? After the story, so the moral of the story or whatever, create a device where you understand, you take and you try to give to people a little bit of an explanation of how that story relates to their life, a kind of a bridge. And so then in a sense... So that's, if the story is used as a metaphor... That's right. Then the story needs, needs to be used as a metaphor. Needs to be used as a metaphor. And then it's like, okay, but you're saying it really to illustrate the following point. Bang, bang, bang. And, and then it's like, then people are like, okay, I understand. It's like, the rest of the story is just kind of there to clothe it, maybe. But, but at the end of the day, there is a message that does apply to them. It's like the Lech Lecha story, example of, of Abraham. To me, it's, it's the greatest pasuk of the entire... Like, that pasuk for me is like the prism through which, like, I look at the entire Torah. Like that, that pasuk. Very powerful. I very understood from your question. The one Abraham, Abraham leaving his father's house. The first time God speaks to Abraham, like that pasuk to me is like the greatest thing. How could God have spoken to Abraham? I mean, direct contact. It's God. God can do whatever. It's Abraham. No, it's Abraham. <laughs> I mean, why would God lower himself to speak to one person? Yeah, because it was the right person at the right time. And it was the right message. And everything that what you just said, the only thing I'm focusing on yeah. is what you said right at the beginning, which was when somebody, I, I don't know how you worded it, but when you said that somebody gives themselves the opportunity to say, well, I, I disagree with what I just said. Mm-hmm. I love that. Because that means that there's personal growth happening. There has to be. If there's, if there's, gonna, everybody's able to if there's going to be personal growth, there's going to be some like, Schizophrenic moments. I love that. I love that. You have to yeah. acknowledge that. You need to. Otherwise, uh, okay, perfect. You're but consistent. You're consistent. I, with, right. I got from what you were telling. You're, you're, that's right. You're <laughs> consistently limited. Good for you. There was a. There was a. a there was a. So there's a great quote by by a writer Oscar Alves. He goes, "Consistency is the last refuge of the unimaginative." <laughs> there was a, a chassid. There was a chassid that was drafted to the Korean War and he really didn't want to go. He was a religious man. So he went to the Rebbe and he said to the Rebbe, what do I do? So the Rebbe said, tell him the truth. <laughs> I've heard this story. Tell, tell him the truth. So he said, okay, what do you mean? Tell him uh, what you learned, you know, Talmud and Kabbalah. Just tell him the stuff you learned. So he goes to the, the so they said, so tell us about this. And they asked him different questions. So, so they said, tell us about your philosophy on life. He said, well, my personal philosophy on life is that I'm always, uh, you know, inside of me, I have a body and a soul, and I have two souls, and one soul is battling, it's more animalistic, and the other one is more spiritual, and they're battling back and forth, and back and forth, and sometimes I, my, my instinct takes over, and sometimes my thought takes over, and sometimes I, I, I get taken over by this idea, and sometimes I get you know, stuck, and I, and I become miserable, sometimes I become sad, sometimes I feel happy, and I'm constantly battling and battling and battling in this internal battle and struggle. They're like, thank you, have a good day. <laughs> But yeah. that's the reality. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. That's who we are. Look, and I think it's such an important thing that we have to tell our children. You're not here in this world to live an easy life. Mm. That's not why you're brought into this world. 
Life is going to have tough moments. We're not going to here to protect our children from the tough moments. Different challenge. Your life is going to be tough. What I want to do to you, what I want to do is today while you're under my roof, I want to give you the values and the ethics that I hold so dear so that later on when you have to make those choices, you have a, 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 a guide that you can make those choices by. It's, it's a very unique challenge that we're in now in terms of our dynamic. It's like for most of our existence, it's been a struggle for survival. And so just trying to survive in itself gave you a ton of meaning in your life. Whereas today, we're in a state of unprecedented comfort. And we're like, everything goes. And so like we're losing. We're just losing values. We're losing the, 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 those guides of behavior. And it's, it's a completely different challenge now. It's like the challenge now is in a sense much more deeply philosophical than it used to be. Right? Absolutely. Because it's now we've got to really cut to the chase and get the, the, the message, the core, the essence. We have to say it in 165 say characters or don't say it at all. Yeah, that's right. Right? Twitter. Yeah, now you it's can't 280 say, characters now. Is it 200? They just, they just doubled. Yeah, 280. Yeah. So if you can't say it in 280 characters, still not a lot. Still not a lot. If you can't say it in 280 characters, don't bother saying it. Yeah, that's right. So good luck. Good luck communicating some. Some of these messages yeah. in so little space. Yeah, it's it's a big. We think we're in an era of communication. Do we tell them though? Yeah. <laughs> it's like eleven. Yeah, yeah. No problem. I have to go. Actually, outside. I have to leave. I yeah. Have okay. To, uh, I have a meeting at eleven forty. No problem. And then uh, now I've moved into the uh, to the schmucka area, ah. and Rabbi Zushi's like pulling me to be there at twelve thirty. Lucky you. 